Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Coming to you, I want to say episode 94 at this point, and here we are again. The Jets are 0-2, bottom of the division, the only team that's winless in the entire division, coming off a loss to the New England Patriots once again for the however many time in a row. It's been years since we beat the Patriots. They lose 6-25. to They don't really come close in this one. They play a pretty good game overall, but they're unable to even make it competitive. The Patriots cruise to their first win of the season, and we got a lot to talk about on this one. We're going to do our usual stuff. We're going to talk about the news from the Jets, some injuries and things like that, what happened leading up to game time. Going to talk the negative viewpoint of the game, take some positives out of it. We're going to do our father time, what's on tap, and then break down you know, the team stats, a little bit of a game recap, offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, special teams, then move over to Broncos preview, which is coming next week as the Jets try to get their first win of the season against a team that right now is 2-0, potentially the most difficult team the Jets have played thus far in the season. So a lot to get to, but before I do, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It is under the Gang Green Nation podcast title. Series title is This Is The Jet Life. So I mentioned last week and the week before that I was going to be doing an Elijah Moore mini helmet giveaway, a signed Elijah Moore helmet. So today is the day, and to announce our winner live on the podcast for the first time right now, I have a special guest. Take it away. Hi, everyone. This is fiance Shannon. And I am here today to pick the winner of the Elijah Moore signed mini helmet. And the winner is Nathaniel Stevens. So Nathaniel, congratulations on your new Elijah Moore signed mini helmet. And thank you so much for being a supporter of This is the Jet Life. Back to you, Dan. Thank you very much, Beyonce Shannon. And congratulations to Nathaniel Stevens for winning the signed Elijah Moore mini helmet. I will get in contact with you on Twitter where your entry was submitted, and get it over to you. We will hopefully do more of these sort of giveaways and things as the year goes on. Um, maybe if the Jets win something important, if we make the playoffs, like something big like that, maybe for the 100th episode, I don't know. Just spitballing some ideas here, but congratulations to Nathan Stevens. Thank you to everybody who signed up for this and, and put in reviews, positive reviews, whatnot, and, and spread the word about it. It was fun to do, and hopefully there will be a lot more of these things to come. But back to the New York Jets and New England Patriots. We got to talk about some news with the Jets, starting with injuries. The Jets actually came out of this weekend with the Patriots pretty healthy. Most of the league had horrible injuries across the board. If you look around the league, there were more big-name injuries and more season-ending injuries to, like, important, impactful players than you see in most weeks. And the Jets somehow came out of it pretty good. I mean, Morgan Moses was shaken up at one point, but he went back on the field. Brandon Eccles was shaken up, but he went back on the field. And we had a couple guys that were injured coming into this game, didn't end up suiting up for the game. And they're actually one week closer to being healthy. And we're one week closer to getting some other guys back. So some of the guys that potentially will be back next week, we're waiting, you know, week-to-week guys, day-to-day guys potentially. Jameson Crowder, our wide receiver, our leading receiver for the last two years in yards. Jamie and Sherwood, outside linebacker rookie who is potentially going to make an impact on uh, the starting unit, try to crack that group. And LaMichael P. Ryan, who would be at this point the fourth running back in the rotation. Not super imperative to get him back. No reason to rush him. He may stay on an inactive role anyway as the season goes on, but these are three guys that potentially will be added back into the team. Didn't lose anybody this week, at least as far as we know. We're going to get injury reports coming Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before the Denver Broncos game, so stay tuned to those to see if anybody got kind of dinged up in practice or if anybody's dealing with illnesses, anything like that, to kind of keep them at a day-to-day or questionable for the game. But pretty good overall. And then coming back soon, some people that we could potentially be looking to see added back into the roster that, as we know at 0-2, we definitely need guys back at this point. Ashton Davis, starting safety potentially, who's going to compete with LaMarcus Joyner. Joyner obviously is out for the season. Ashton Davis is still coming back from an injury from months and months ago. And because of that, we've played people like Sheldrick Redwine, who has since been cut. We picked up Adrian Colbert, added him to the active roster. But we'd like to get a guy like Ashton Davis, who was a third-round pick in 2020, back on the roster to see what he can do, if he can put a little juice and life into that safety group. Marcus May's been playing really well, but next to him, we need a little bit more. Ashton Davis has the upside there. He's potentially coming back in week four. Obviously, we need to see what the coaching staff says, what the team doctors and everything say. Just because you're you know, healthier, you've gone through your scheduled recovery time, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily in game shape or that you're 
up to speed with everything going on within the defense or offensive units. So it still may take a little bit more time, but he is a guy who potentially could be back soon coming off of IR. Also, Sherrod Neesman, another safety who, you know, not as good as Ashton Davis, but better than a guy like Sheldrick Redwine or Adrian Colbert at this point, I would say. You know, Sherrod Neesman kind of flashed a bit in preseason. That's what got him onto the active roster. And we'll see if he comes back and if he's able to provide an impact in that safety group. And then backup tackle Connor McDermott. We shouldn't be seeing him anytime soon, but considering the fact that Makai Becton is still out for a few more weeks, it would be nice to have a little bit more depth since Chuma Adoga has been dealing with some injuries, some illnesses, hasn't played a ton. And frankly, I mean, Chuma Adoga is not the greatest backup tackle in the world. So having a little competition with a guy like Connor McDermott to potentially come in and do that role if something happens to a George Fant or Morgan Moses, we saw a scare this past week. So these are guys that potentially could come back in week four. Then in week five, you could potentially get back Braden Mann, Blake Cashman. Those guys are kind of looking at that timetable. They just have a bye week in week six. And then week seven, potentially Mekhi Becton, potentially Gerard Davis. They're even saying it's possible that Kyle Phillips could be back in week seven. So you're looking at this thing and you're like, all right, we're actually a few weeks out from getting the team better and better. We haven't lost anybody in the last seven days. That's a very good sign. The Jets are obviously 0-2, so we're not happy with where we are. We just want to get the unit stronger, continue to gel, get a little bit more cohesion and communication between the guys, and bring back some of our better players. Ashton Davis would be a welcome sight, as would Gerard Davis, Mekhi Becton, of course. These are pretty impactful players on the team. So then people that, you know, leading up to the Patriots game were on the active roster, healthy, or very close to being healthy, but were scratched as healthy scratches, inactives. You had Josh Adams, potentially a little Michael Piran. We don't know how injured he was. Jason Pinnock, who was a rookie cornerback that we were hoping would compete with Brandon Eccles and Isaiah Dunn for that role. Hasn't had the opportunity yet, but is still part of the active roster, working his way up. Jonathan Marshall, he was a late-round draft pick from the Jets this past year that would be competing, but we have Quinnen Williams and Foley Fadakasi, Nathan Shepard, Sheldon Rankins on the inside. It's not really imperative to have him on the field right now but still is there waiting in the wings. And then the one that surprised everybody, Denzel Mims. And this is like a hot-button issue with Jets fans all over right now. Everybody's got an opinion on Denzel Mims and what's going on. And we got to break this down a few ways because I have a lot of opinions on it, and I see all sides here. Denzel Mims was a guy that we were shocked dropped us in the late second round last year, and we were super happy to get him. It's a position that we've been kind of ignoring for a long time, specifically in the draft, usually going with fourth, fifth, sixth rounders, hoping they pan out. And we were excited to get Denzel Mims. He was a big-name guy that potentially we thought could be a first-rounder. Jets get him. He's injured at first, shaken up, but he does provide a little bit of juice when he's on the field. He had a 40-yard catch in week one of this season, only on three snaps. And everybody's like, what is going on with this guy? Why is he getting pushed down the depth chart? There's a few things going on here. Number one, the Jets have potentially their deepest wide receiver group that they've had in years. Corey Davis, Jamison Crowder, and Keelan Cole are three veterans. you got a young guy like Elijah Moore who's you know drafted ahead of Denzel Mims actually has more potential than a Denzel Mims, most likely, at least, you know, by draft value and everything. Braxton Berrios is a big-time special teams player. And then you got a guy like Jeff Smith. And Jeff Smith is probably the one that you could say right away, well, he should be probably playing. Denzel Mims should be probably ahead of Jeff Smith. But at this point, I think they like what they see in Jeff Smith from his speed. He's probably trying really hard in practice, probably learning the offense really well, clicking with some of the players, clicking with Michael Floor. And Denzel Mims at this point maybe hasn't. And he has to do some stuff to separate. Right now, he doesn't have a spot at being the number one, number two, or number three wide receiver on this team. Those roles are taken. He probably can't even crack the top four. With Keelan Cole, they're on a big deal. Keelan Cole may not be a household name. He didn't show up in this week, but he was a guy that Joe Douglas apparently wanted to get last year. They weren't able to get him. He signed a one-year deal with the Jaguars. Eventually, you know, he's available again. The Jets go after him. They sign him to a, you know, a few million dollars to come play for a year. He's a player that they wanted and the guy that they wanted to install in their offense that actually plays a similar style to Denzel Mims with a little less flash and a little less, uh, you know, spectacular catchability and everything. But Keelan Cole is absolutely a serviceable player. Denzel Mims also, at this point, hasn't proven to be an average or above average blocker. And in this offense, it is extremely important to be a good blocker if you're playing on the outside. Corey Davis is in almost every single snap on offense for that reason. I mean, we saw him in this week have some really, really nice blocks. No, he didn't show up in the receiving game, but he blocked really, really well. And the Jets run outside a lot. You notice Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, Michael Carter, they get a lot of outside runs, way more than they used to have. And they'll run to Corey Davis' side frequently because he can block like that. You bring in a tight end like Tyler Croft because he was known for his blocking. A lot of these people are in there for more than just the receiving ability. Yes, Denzel Mims might be the most incredible or, you know, the best of those middle-tier Jets you know, yeah, I'd be willing to bet that Denzel Mims would be better 
in a pickup football game in a backyard than Keelan Cole, Braxton Berrios, or Jeff Smith. I would be willing to bet that, yes, he would be a more impactful player there. But when it comes to a whole team dynamic, what is he learning? How is he taking the offense? What can he offer on special teams in the blocking game? How you know multifaceted is his game to get on the roster, especially when you're talking about a lower-end wide receiver on the unit? I mean, when you draft Elijah Moore and you sign Corey Davis, and you keep Jamison Crowder, you have the best wide receiver group you've had in a long time, but it also makes it hard to crack that group. And we know that wide receivers take a long time to develop. There's been a few in the last few years that like really came out. First year, Justin Jefferson's the most recent one that a lot of people see that, and they're like, well, that's what we should be seeing from our guys. But in reality, wide receiver is a very difficult position to learn. There's a lot of nuances, a lot of communication and timing that goes with the quarterback because it's not just, you know, run a slant, it's be at this location at this time. Don't be put off schedule. Get past the screens, the bumps, the rubs, everything. Get to your spot, catch the ball, get upfield. You got to be reliable. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And in this offense with the Jets, they're hopefully going to be getting more and more dynamic, a little bit more motion, pre-snap movement and stuff that is a little bit more difficult for a guy like Denzel Mims to learn. He's going to have opportunities for sure. Don't get too down on it right now because he's a healthy, inactive guy. He's not cut. He's not on the practice squad. He hasn't been traded. He's not injured right now. He will absolutely have opportunities. We don't need to rush it. And Jeff Smith, honestly, you know, he had a nice catch, one nice catch in this game for 35 yards. But if he doesn't show up more consistently on special teams or in the passing game, he's going to lose that job to Denzel Mims if Denzel Mims continues to work hard in practice. There's nothing wrong with some healthy competition. So all is well there. No need to panic. Now we're going to talk a little bit about this actual Jets-Patriots game where they lost 6-25, to falling to 0-2, losing, I mean, just losing to the Patriots just sucks. It happens again. I mean, you're hoping that eventually you can get that monkey off your back, get one of those wins, and feel good about it. But this really isn't the year for it. Um, we're going to talk positives and negatives really quick. I think starting with the negatives so we can leave on a positive note. If you're looking negatively about this whole thing, the Jets lose 25-6. to It's not really a competitive game. It's our first game at home. We're 0-2, last place in the division. We give a win to the Patriots, Bill Belichick, Mac Jones, everybody feeling good. And Zach Wilson, who I've said before, you know, this team runs through Zach Wilson. We will be successful if he's successful. He played like dog shit. He played horrible, right? He had four interceptions. He had no touchdowns. He had a 37 quarterback rating in this game. I wouldn't say that he was seeing ghosts. He didn't seem confused or befuddled. He just seemed like he was taking way too much onto his shoulders and trying to do stuff that he frankly can't do in this league at this point. And it was an ugly showing. And because of that, everybody's down. And to this point in the NFL, this is the worst performance we've seen from Zach Wilson. He didn't play this poorly in training camp, practices, preseason. Even the first half against the Panthers was better than this performance against the Patriots. So a lot to be kind of worried about right now. The offense hasn't seemed like, you know, we thought Michael Floor was going to come in here and be kind of a quarterback whisperer and make it very easy on the young quarterback to develop and get comfortable. That's not been the case. Zach Wilson is not comfortable, and he is potentially regressing at this point from what we've seen so far. So that's the negative. Yeah, pretty dark. When you think about the positive, the Jets play a really, really good game in this. They actually outplay the Patriots. And I'm going to talk about the team stats and everything later on, go over position groups and whatnot. But the Jets, in my mind, played a better game than the Patriots. Mac Jones, you know, he had an all right game. He threw 186 yards in this one. 22 of 30, so good completion percentage, but not picking up any yardage. He was kind of giving up on some third downs and things. He wasn't a guy, I was worried that we were going to see a young Tom Brady who just came out here and commanded the offense. But in reality, they struggled to move the ball. And when they weren't rushing at a high clip, when Damian Harris wasn't breaking tackles, they weren't picking up big yardage. And when it got to third downs, they weren't really converting them. The Jets were converting third downs better than the Patriots were. It was just those turnovers, those four interceptions from Zach Wilson, those short fields from Mac Jones, and the basically starting and kicking range. Many of the Patriots' points... They didn't go more than 20 yards after getting the ball, but they were scoring points just because the turnovers were happening in locations on the field that, you know, really helped them out. So you feel really good about what you saw there. And you're not super worried about the Patriots because if at this point the Jets, who are completely rebuilding in an evaluation year with the youngest roster in the NFL, if they're playing, for the most part, when you look at the position groups, as well or better than a team that, like the Patriots, they're going for some stuff right now. Right? I know that they're playing a rookie quarterback, but that's not to say that they're now in a rebuild as well. No, they cut Cam Newton. They decided not to bring anybody else and to bring Mac Jones in because he was supposed to be the most ready quarterback to play in the NFL, a system guy that Josh McDaniels could teach the offense to. They invested a ton of money on their team, spent big in free agency on guys like Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. They bring in Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Matt Judon. I mean, across the board, they made big pickups. And a lot of their best players, you know, guys like McCourty, 
guys like Hightower, Kyle Van Noy. Some of these guys are getting older. And when you look at the whole thing, the Patriots are kind of in a win now. Bill Belichick himself, I mean, how much longer can he really coach for? This felt like, I said going into the year, like a Patriots last-ditch effort for Bill Belichick. Give it three, four years, really invest a ton, try to get a new quarterback, spend a bunch of money, see if you can get a team going. And if it doesn't work out, probably shift into a consulting role instead of getting fired. At this point, they don't look like that good of a team. They lost to the Dolphins, and for a lot of things, they got outplayed by the Jets. This Jets team. So... You can feel really good about that. Um, I think it's still going to be an uphill climb for the Jets for the rest of this year. I saw a lot of good things from a lot of people. Some of the guys that were specifically evaluating the rookies, the second year and third year players that are under contract for a further year or more, um, saw some really good stuff from them. So you feel really good about that. But, you know, this year right now, yes, I think the things are going to get better. I think the Jets will definitely have better performances on offense than they did in this game. But great defense, and, you know, we... <laughs> We got 15 weeks left. We'll see what happens. So that's the positives and negatives of this game. Before we move over to the next segment, I want to let my dad have a few words on his father time of this week. So this is this week's father time written by my dad, David Burnham, and his thoughts on the Jets and what he saw against the Patriots. Here we go. The team is gelling. Running last week was 6.3 yards per carry and the workload was dispersed. The O-line looks better and better by the quarter with AVT playing well next to Fant, and Moses was a great late addition. On defense, our front looks dominant with JFM playing great. Shaq Lawson is a complete defensive end, and I love his play style, which includes edge containment along with a pass rush. Quinn is off to a slow start, but stay tuned. He missed a lot of preseason with a broken foot. CJ is a beast again, and our corners aren't really a weakness. All playing well with no true weak link if you look at PFF grades. They're all about the same. Isn't it great to see the Jets work their way up the standings? Well, not yet. Let's pump the brakes. Unfortunately for fans, we have to endure the growing pains. Gotta pay the piper. We have a cocky, young, rocket-armed 22-year-old that has watched too many Aaron Rodgers YouTubes. Coach Sala said that it's okay to be boring if you win. I heard him say it. Did Zach? Offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur needs to coach Zach to take the check down. Take the five yards given instead of getting caught stealing 30. Long drives are a good thing, especially at 6.3 yards per carry. Is it possible that Zach thought this would be easy? This isn't Troy State, this is the NFL, and he's playing against world-class athletes. At this point, they are much better at their jobs than he is at his. So this is where Michael Floor earns his pay and creates his legacy, because Zach Wilson has the tools, but needs a lot of guidance. I truly believe the sky's the limit. Mike and Zach need to get on the same page and fast. Zach needs to buy into the system and play the system as it's designed. Be smart and trust the talent around him to help. Zach doesn't need to be stifled, but he needs to choose his shots. Walk before you run. And it's okay. It's just week three. There's a happy medium here, and I believe they're going to find it. Hopefully without too many growing pains along the way. Go Jets. End scene. Whoa. That was, when I read it, I texted my dad right away, and I was like, that was awesome. That looked like something that should be submitted online for people to read for articles. I love his diagnosis of everything, and he's absolutely right. When you look at the defense, we're going to talk about the defense later. I'm super stoked on everything. I mean, the players across the board, trenches, linebackers, cornerbacks, safeties, a lot of good play. When you look at the offense, the offensive line where it starts, definitely better than the first week. The skill position players, they're going to be good. The running game, awesome. It comes down to Zach Wilson, and, you know, he makes some good points here. Where Zach Wilson is young, maybe thinks he's better than he is, maybe has watched too many highlights and played against Troy State and think that, you know, that's what he can do here in the NFL, and he can't. But the biggest point in this whole thing that I agree with is it is on Zach Wilson. He clearly has talent. We've seen him make some incredible throws already. We've seen him make... As many incredible throws as Geno Smith made in his entire career playing for the Jets, probably in the first two weeks in preseason. But he needs to kind of rein it in a little bit, and the guy to help him do that is Michael Floor. The two of them don't seem like they're on the same page right now. I would think that Michael Floor and Zach Wilson would get to a point where they're kind of reading each other's minds, and Michael Floor is trying to make it easy for Zach Wilson, and Zach Wilson is seeing that, and he's only taking those deep shots when he really sees a guy wide open rather than trying to force it. I mean, the Patriots were keeping safeties back. They were keeping the guys bracketed. They were letting us run. But watching Zach Wilson just throw into triple, quadruple coverage for interceptions, easy interceptions on some of them. And if Michael Floor kind of coaches the five, six, seven-yard pass, take those early, continue to run the ball, maybe a little bit more ground and pound. And they started this game with two interceptions. They only won the ball two times, and it was for like 15 yards. They're getting seven yards a carry on two carries. You should probably carry it a little bit more when your quarterback is struggling. So maybe working that stuff in a little bit earlier if it's working. 
Um, but my dad is absolutely right. I mean, I think Zach Wilson will find the happy medium. I think Michael Floor is the answer to the whole thing. And hopefully there's not too many growing pains. So I appreciate the father time, Dad. This was a really good one. Thank you for saying everything that we were thinking and uh, giving us a good starting point for the rest of this game because we got to talk about how the Jets performed against the Patriots. Before we do that, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. So just before we get into the team stats, just to kind of go over a quick game recap, the Jets came out here, and on the first what, two throws of Zach Wilson's day, he throws interceptions, quick fields for the Patriots. They get off to a quick start. The defense is playing really, really good in this game. I mean, they got players flying all over the field. They're shutting down the screen passes. They're making it difficult for Mac Jones to do anything other than throw three, four, five-yard dump-offs. And while the Patriots are moving the ball a little bit more successfully than the Jets because they're holding onto the ball for longer, they're not really making much headway. And I'm fired up. That whole first half, I'm feeling really good. Even though the Jets were losing, what, 13-3 at the half, I'm still feeling like, holy shit, this team is playing awesome. But, of course, Zach Wilson's day continued to just spiral out of control. He never really got it. And while he did finish with 210 yards, the four interceptions and no touchdowns and not able to lead the Jets downfield for any touchdown, you know, running or passing, it just made it impossible to overcome 25 points from the Patriots. I was predicting this game, the Jets would lose 13-27. to 27. I mean, it was supposed to be, in my mind, a pretty big gap between the two. We'd lose by 14. Uh, the Jets did lose this game, but they lost by 19. So it was a little bit worse than I thought. I thought that the Jets would score a touchdown in this game, maybe one more at some point. And uh, the Patriots did about what I expected. But I thought that it would be harder for the Patriots, or easier, I guess, for the Patriots to score. Um, the Jets gave them these quick fields. I mean, if it wasn't for the interceptions, Mac Jones, this team, it didn't really look like they were about to be moving down the field for any 80-yard drives ending in touchdowns. There was a nice run by uh, James White. There was a nice, really nice run by Damian Harris where he just ran through like seven, eight defenders on the Jets. I mean, he ran through a couple guys two times. I think Adrian Colbert was one of them. Welcome to the roster. But, you know, it didn't look easy for them. At any point, I thought they were going to pick us apart. I thought Mac Jones was going to be way more comfortable back there picking up seven, eight, nine-yard chunks here and there. But really, he just looked for the check down three, four yards, and yeah, I get it. He won the game. He did what he had to do. That's what he was supposed to do. He did everything Josh McDaniel said, probably a little bit closer to what Zach Wilson should have done. Just take the quick passes, the easy passes. But um, in the end, the Jets gave this game away, and they played better. It was Zach Wilson that gave the game away. When you look at the team stats, the Jets had more first downs than the Patriots. They had... More total yards than the Patriots at 336 to 260. They had more yards per play, 4.9 versus 4.6. They had more passing yards. They had more rushing yards. They were better on third down conversions. They had more time of possession. What it came down to in this game was penalties for the Jets and the turnovers. The Patriots had no turnovers. They played a very clean game. They made all of their kicks. They missed one extra point, but Nick Folk made the rest of his field goals. The Jets had a missed field goal, and four turnovers. And more penalties. Eight penalties for 77 yards versus the Patriots' six penalties for 54 yards. So when you see that, the first downs, the third down conversions, the total yards, passing, rushing, you know, I mean, the Jets did play a better game. But they shot themselves in the foot so, so clearly, so many times. And it came down to Zach Wilson. And we're going to talk about the offensive side of the ball now starting with the quarterback, Zach Wilson. And like I said, this was the worst game we've ever seen him play at an NFL level, whether it be preseason, training camp, anything. He is this week's doghouse player of the week. I don't want to put him there. He's supposed to be our young hotshot kid who's coming in here, taking New York City by the reins and just riding us to the playoffs. And that's not happening right now. Right now, like my dad said, he's trying to do more than he can. He's not as good as he thinks he is. He's playing against better competition. Guys better at their positions than he is at his. They're faster than ever. They're stronger than ever. They can catch the ball better than ever. And they're messing with him. And he thinks he can pick up big chunk plays and be Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes right away. The media thought he could too. A lot of people you're hearing around the league are saying like, oh, Zach Wilson could be the next Patrick Mahomes in the league, the next Aaron Rodgers. Big name people. He's probably hearing this and he's believing it. Well, he's got to shut that up a little bit because right now he cannot. And he ended with 210 yards, but I think he had like 99 yards at the half. And when you look at that, it's like, yeah, he picked up 210 yards, but a lot of it's in garbage time. A couple nice deep passes. One thing that I saw from him was, so the first two interceptions were kind of just 
inaccurately thrown. The first one was to Corey Davis. It was thrown a little bit to the right, and had it been thrown maybe a foot and a half to the left, Corey Davis probably picks it up for like a 15-yard catch. The next interception that he threw right after that was to Corey Davis again, trying to force-feed Corey Davis, a guy that we knew, Bill Belichick and the Patriots, would probably try to take out of the game. The ball was thrown probably about seven, eight inches too high. Corey Davis could have made the catch, but he didn't. It was definitely a little high. Slipped through his hands, picked off. Now, number one, you don't really want to be attacking the defensive backs of a Bill Belichick defense, especially if he's keeping guys back. He was a defensive back coach, and he knows how to coach a secondary very, very well. Then moving forward, Zach Wilson continues to be a gunslinger, continues to try to pick up the big yardage. On a second and 28, he just chucks the ball downfield, a wide-open, easy interception, basically catching a punt. And we saw it at the time. It was like second and 28. My dad goes, as a joke, he was just like, throw it deep. If they intercept it, it's basically like a punt. And that's what happened, actually. He was like, I didn't actually mean it. And then the Patriots returned it for like 30 yards, got right back in field goal range, scored pretty easily. So that kind of sucked. And then after that, just another one, you know, trying to hit a receiver that wasn't really there. Very easy interception for the Patriots. And I said before the game, you know, watch out for guys like J.C. Jackson. J.C. Jackson probably has better hands than Nelson Aguilar, the defensive back. Probably better hands than the receiver. And he had two picks in this game. He easily could lead the league in interceptions. Him and Xavier Howard are two guys the Jets are going to face multiple times this year that are very, very scary and catch the ball every time it's thrown their way. So stay away from him if you can. Focus on running the ball and whatnot. But as the game went on, after he had those four interceptions, he continued to throw the ball deep. And I know the Jets were down at this point, and it's like, all right, when you're losing 16-0 to zero or 16-3, to three, you need to start trying to, you know, pick up some yardage, maybe try to score. But he didn't really rein it in too much. He just continued to throw to Braxton Berrios deep, to Jeff Smith deep, to try to Corey Davis deep, throw some, you know, deep balls to Elijah Moore. And I think that, you know, that was the game script at that point in the game. That's clearly the mentality he had going into this game. But he's got to check that a little bit at the door. When it's not working and you're not throwing deep, you don't, like my dad said, he said it perfectly, you know, take the five yards that are given instead of trying to steal 30. Because he's trying to steal yardage that is not available. And when you do that, you get interceptions, you lose the game. So his worst performance we've seen, he's got a rebound. The Denver Broncos are going to be a very tough, tough test for him. But he is this week's Doghouse Player of the Week. We move to the running backs. Super impressed with the running backs. And now we can talk about something much more of a high. The Jets did not run the ball well at all against the Panthers in week one. They were running to the right consistently, not picking up big yardage. In this game, the Jets run for 152 yards on 4.9 yards per attempt. They only had a 17-yarder as they're along, but they had a 17-yarder for Tevin Coleman. Ty Johnson had a 17-yarder. Michael Carter had a 14-yarder. I mean, even Zach Wilson had a 10-yarder. These weren't like 60-yard gains to get us there. They were just progressive, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10-yard pickups, and they were great. Our leading carrier in this game, Michael Carter, I'm going to say it right now. We did a positive. He is our offensive player of the game. He was awesome. And Michael Carter, he was stopped in the backfield on like one or two runs for minus three yards that were not his fault, put his numbers down a little bit, but 11 carries for 59 yards, 5.4 yards per attempt, the highest of any running back on the team in this week where everybody was successful. Everybody was over four, but he was at 5.4. 59 yards to lead the team. He showed incredible balance. He got around the outside a couple times in those outside runs and got a couple extra yards, five, six yards, where he didn't think he'd get it. The balance was the big thing that I saw. You know, he's pretty quick. He's got a little bit of strength, but, like, when he's knocked around, just staying up, staying on his feet, picking up a couple extra yards, you know, moving left, right through the holes, some juke moves here and there, it was impressive. And then on top of that, add two more catches for 29 yards along a 17 there. And he had another target that Zach Wilson probably could have picked up 17, 18 yards again on a pass to Michael Carter, but it was just airmailed over his head. You heard the boos from the crowd. It was just like, oh, here we go again. Another young quarterback rookie season getting booed as the Jets lose to the Patriots. It's like, I've done this seven times now. But um, if he'd hit him there, it would have been an even better day for Michael Carter, who ends this game with almost 90 yards, almost 90 all-purpose yards. And the Jets, like my dad said, he dispersed it. Well, across the field, Michael Floor was running three running backs. Zach Wilson ran a few times, three times for 19 yards. And the wide receivers were all kind of targeted in this game. It wasn't just, you know, one guy, although it tried to be Corey Davis early. It was dispersed, and still Michael Carter gets 90 yards. He was our offensive player of the game. And how exciting, because he's a guy that we're expecting a lot from. He's one of the rookies from this year that we're evaluating. Like, if he's good, that's going to change things. And he didn't have a really, really big impact in week one. 
And people after the preseason were like, eh, we were hoping to see a little bit more. I think in this week you saw enough to be really excited about Michael Carter moving forward. And he probably will get more snaps and more opportunities moving forward. He didn't actually lead the Jets in carries. He had 11. Ty Johnson had 12 in this game. Ty Johnson had a 4.2 yard per carry average, which is still great. He had 50 yards in there. Didn't get any catches, but, you know, Ty Johnson, another guy running really, really well. It looks it looks the way you'd want it to look. It looks like the 49ers running the ball. It's like, is it Jamichael Hasty or Elijah Mitchell or Raheem Mostert, Matt Breida? Whoever you put in there just seems to pick up yardage. It's happening right now. It happened against the Patriots, a team that usually has a really stingy defense. Tevin Coleman, only five carries, 24 yards. 4.8 yards per attempt. Picked up a 17-yarder in there. No catches for Tevin Coleman either, but across the board, 152 rushing yards on 31 attempts. A great rushing game. you got to be really happy about all that. You look at the wide receivers. Braxton Berrios, he was the guy that was in contention to potentially get offensive player of the game if it wasn't Michael Carter. If it wasn't so clearly like Carter was the best offensive player on the field for the Jets, the moves that he was making, the tackles he was breaking, the extra yardage he was picking up, it was him. But if there's anybody else in the conversation, it was Braxton Berrios. Seven catches, 73 yards, 27-yarder where he got both feet in on a deep pass from Zach Wilson on the left side of the field. Very, very nice. He was the most targeted player in the game, 11 targets. He actually, at this point, leads the Jets in yardage, in targets, and he right now is building a really nice rapport with Zach Wilson. Now, he's playing the role that you would think a Jamison Crowder would probably be playing moving forward. So we'll see how Jamison Crowder gets worked into the offense. If he replaces Braxton Berrios or if Braxton Berrios and Zach Wilson just have way too good a chemistry where Berrios is just demanding, you know, snap, snap count. Give me, give me time on the field. I'll make it happen. Who knows? He has been a serviceable player. He's extremely serviceable. Catches the ball when it's thrown to him when he can. Balls forward. A little scrap. He goes down easy, but he's got some speed and, uh, you know, good game from Braxton Berrios. 10.4 yards per catch. You like what you saw there. Elijah Moore, who had a really bad week one, you know, could have been the doghouse player in week one, negative three yards on a few a few targets. In this game, he's targeted eight times, which is a lot, but he had four catches, 47 yards, had another deep ball, just like Braxton Barris, a 27-yarder on the sideline. Beautiful catch from him. At first, it kind of looked like he bobbled it on his head or, like, caught it on his helmet or something, but if you watch the slow-motion replay of it coming at him, he actually caught it crisply and beautifully. And I just want to see him get the ball in space more. I want to see him use like a young Odell Beckham Jr. with the Giants. You know, get him on some slants, get him running upfield where he's not covered, and let him go to work because he's got moves and speed, a little bit of strength, he's fearless. And that's where I want to see him rather than just like dink and dunks and a couple deep shots on the sideline. Although when it was thrown to him today, or Sunday, it pretty much worked. His best game by far, 47 yards. Good to see him getting more involved in the offense. Jeff Smith, we mentioned him getting that one catch for 35 yards. He was third on the team in receiving yards. Just the one big throw. Corey Davis, he's the wide receiver that's missing here. Two catches for eight yards, five targets. His long was five. He was targeted early and often. Picked off the first time, picked off the second time. They eventually did get it to him in the second half just for you know a total of eight yards on two catches. He blocked really, really well in the run game, though. I mean, the Patriots take one of your best weapons away every time they play you. Corey Davis was probably one of the big focuses. Zach Wilson says the Patriots weren't really focusing on him, but if you see J.C. Jackson shadowing him on the field, safety's coming up to help. They had consistently multiple people there where Corey Davis was, and they did want to take him out of the game, and it worked. The other receiver that you wanted to see, Keelan Cole, it was his his first game active. He was basically the guy replacing Denzel Mims on the roster. One guy goes up, one guy goes down. So Keelan Cole came up, Denzel Mims moved down to inactive. Keelan Cole did not have much of an impact in this game. No catches, no targets. We'll see if he can get more of a rapport, but Jameson Crowder is going to work his way back. Denzel Mims will have more opportunities later. we got a lot of guys to get the ball to. And if you're, you know, fifth guy in Braxton Berrios is starting to play like this and lead the team, I mean, now you got five guys that you feel good about. So Zach Wilson just has to do it on his end, work a little bit more, and probably hit the tight ends a little bit more often. In this game, we only had three catches in the tight ends for a total of 18 yards. Two catches for Griffin for 10 yards, one catch for Croft for eight yards. They were targeted four times. When it was thrown to them, it worked. They picked up five yards or eight yards, and they were able to move the ball, you know, give yourself some shorter sticks, give yourself a second and five, and when the team's running for six yards a carry, then, yeah, a quick dump off to pick up five yards is great on first down. So I'd like to see them more involved. Uh, Trevon Wesco, you would would think that he'd be playing a little bit more 
because in week one he played 20 snaps on offense at fullback. He didn't do very good. We talked about him last week, not having a good game, missing some blocks, being kind of timid, and not having that fearless fullback nature where you just go out and hit a linebacker. In this week, he got like two, three snaps total in the entire game versus the 20 from week one. So when you see that, he is definitely trending down within the offense. Um, I think that at this point, when you look at the tight end group, Ryan Griffin, Tyler Croft, Daniel Brown, maybe Trevon Wesco, you probably miss Chris Herndon. Now, Joe Douglas hasn't been great at drafting in those middle rounds. We did receive a mid-round pick from the Vikings in return for Chris uh, Chris Herndon, but you probably wish that you had Herndon out there because from what you've gotten from Ryan Griffin, Tyler Croft, maybe it's the offense, maybe it's Zach Wilson, but you haven't seen a ton yet. So that's what we got with the skill position groups and the quarterback. The only thing left on the offense is the offensive line. And in this game, the offensive line was good, really good. They ran for 152 yards, and Zach Wilson, he was sacked four times, losing 26 yards. But he holds onto the ball a lot. I mean, how many times was he looking for a deep shot in this game? He's not looking to pick up five, six, seven, eight yards. If he did, maybe we'd win this game. But he looks to pick up 20, 30, 40 yards, throw the ball deep. And when you do that, you hold onto the ball for a long time. You're watching your receivers, waiting for guys to get open. You get sacked. And so a lot of the sacks are on him. I didn't see anybody really stand out as having a bad game. Greg Van Roten had a penalty. Um, Connor McGovern had a penalty. For the most part, I was really pleased. I saw a couple plays from Elijah Vera Tucker where he really stood out, and it was like, damn, that's kind of what we were hoping he'd be when we drafted him. Got downfield, blocked three players on one play as the Jets pick up like 10 yards on a run to the left. George Fant played pretty well at left, and you were worried that with Mekhi Becton out and Fant moving over there, like, is he going to be able to pick up the, you know, pick up where Mackay left off, where we hoped Mackay would leave off. And he's not as good as Mackay. He's not the road grader. He doesn't, like, just shred people like a mountain. But he's still serviceable, one of the better backup tackles in the entire NFL. And he had a good game this week. Definitely rebounded from Doghouse Player of the Game. He's out of that house. He's back in good graces with the Jets. We are very happy to have George Fant as the backup tackle who is now playing, you know, instead of Mackay Becton for now. On the other side, McGovern is playing really well. He's in the middle. He's playing awesome. This was probably his best game yet. We knew he was going to be good in this scheme. He was good in preseason, good in training camp. He's impressed me so far this year. Greg Van Roten, he's a guy that you wish probably had a little bit more toughness when you ran the ball to his side, maybe a little bit more like aggressive at going at defenders. But overall, pretty good game from him. And Morgan Moses, my dad said that too. You know, what a good late addition for the Jets. He was kind of like a guy that we were looking at in training camp. Like, wouldn't it be really great if the Jets signed Morgan Moses? Where would they even play him? Who cares? It's just great to have good offensive linemen on your team. And they went out and they got him. And you were like, oh, shit, that actually happened. How awesome is that? And now with Mekhi Becton out and Morgan Moses playing at right tackle and playing well, you're like, well, thank God they made that move. How important that is that we don't have Connor, McGo- Connor McDermott or Chuma Adoga or somebody even lower than that playing right tackle right now or left tackle, depending on where you move fam. It's just nice, and the offensive line was good in this game. Pleased with them. We'll see if they can continue it, because if Zach Wilson's going to have success, if this Jets team is going to start winning some games, we're going to start beating some teams up. It's going to be through the ground and pound. It's going to start on the offensive line. That's everything I have for the offense. Now, before we move over to the defensive side of the ball, I want to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right. This is what's on tap. And today... I needed something a little stiffer today. I drank a high noon seltzer last week. Had like a light beer the week before, but the Jets are 0-2. They lose to the Patriots at home, 6-25. to They don't score a touchdown. Zach Wilson regresses and makes everybody scratch their head and say, what the hell is going on right now? So I grab a whiskey glass, and I walk over to the bar cart with the intent of finding something that I can do, like, you know, two, three-finger pour, go in and do the episode, and just have a little extra kick. And what do I see is this Ciroc limited edition summer citrus. So Ciroc you're familiar with is vodka. This is like a 35% alcohol summer citrus that I had seen on a commercial while watching UFC one night, like 11 o'clock at night. And I see these commercials and I'm like, well, that looks kind of interesting. In college, I loved Ciroc. It was like I'd go to the casino and I'd get peach Ciroc or something like that. It was like the best thing that I could find, super smooth. So I figured, well, maybe this thing is good. It's been like eight years since I've drank it, but maybe I'll like it. Buy it. It is so syrupy. It's disgusting. It reminds me of everything that I drank in college and why I don't drink it anymore. I'm a whiskey guy now, and this fruity, syrupy, sugary stuff is just not up my alley. So it's been sitting on the bar cart since that first night that me and roommate Kyle drank it, about half full, and I'm like, you know what? Now is the perfect time. It's the end of summer. I need something stiff, and I got to get rid of this bottle anyway. Never reviewed it on What's on Tap. Let's do it. Roommate Kyle sees me grabbing it, and he goes, what are you putting that in? 
I was like, oh, I was just going to do a couple finger pour and drink it. He goes, oh, God. I thought to myself, oh, God, he's right. I can't drink this stuff straight. That would be just horrible. It's bad enough as it is. I got to cut it with something. I got to mix. I got these little orange juices in the fridge, typically used for breakfast, but in this case, used for mixed drinks. This is kind of like a screwdriver that I've created with summer citrus, Ciroc, and orange juice. Uh, I don't know what the flavors are in this thing. It says it's infused with orange and other citrus flavors. So dealer's choice in the citrus flavors and orange. I would imagine lime and lemon, but Ciroc keeps the mystery there. Whatever it is, it's syrupy, it's sweet, and it's not great. It tastes like something. You can't drink beer yet, and you're like, well, what if we mix orange juice with, like, sugar, and there's vodka just hidden in there? And, yeah, it brings me back to, like, we'll say college. I'm drinking that. Put a couple ice cubes in it, hoping to water it down, thin that stuff out. <sighs> that is what's on tap today. Not great, but you know what? Getting this thing off the bar cart would be a welcome surprise because for everything I take off of the bar cart, I get to add something to the bar cart. So I will get something better, and we will review that as the weeks go on. That is this week's What's on Tap. Before we move over to the defensive side of the ball, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, folks, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to talk about the defensive performance in the Jets' 6-25 loss to the New England Patriots in Week 2 of the NFL season. The Jets' defense was awesome. If they didn't give such short fields to Nick Folk and Mac Jones and the Patriots' offense, they would have had a really, really good day. And they picked up, like, one chunk play to Hunter Henry, one nice little, you know, trick play or two trick plays for, like, 15 yards, and then they had a really good run by Damian Harris or... Yeah, Damian Harris ran for, like, 30 yards, breaking all these tackles. It was, when your defense is on the field for the entire game, keep in mind, the Jets play two two plays, turnover, Patriots get the ball back. They play two plays, turnover, the Patriots get the ball back. The Jets are playing defense for basically the entire first half, and the defense is getting tired, and they came out playing awesome. They finished the game playing really well, but when it comes down to it, when the defense is on the field for as much as they were, it can be very, very difficult to sustain the toughness and the edge, and eventually a running back like Damian Harris is going to be able to run through a bunch of people and pick up a 26-yard touchdown. That's what happened in this game. But when you look at everything else, you got to be really happy with the defensive line. Quinn Williams has been quiet. You watch him on a lot of plays, he's double-teamed. But the guy next to him, Sheldon Rankins, had a really, really good game in this one. Sheldon Rankins had a big sack. And that coming after last week, we had a fumble recovery. I mean, he's making his presence felt. He was a guy that we were hoping could stay healthy and be a good impact player. So far, super impressed with Sheldon Rankins. Foley Fadakasi, he had a much quieter game this week, only had one tackle. And Quinn Williams, he was out there for like 70% of the snaps, but he only had one tackle himself. The guys on the edge, really impressed with JFM. He had a, a strip sack, his second sack of the season. He leads the team with two. Next to him on the other side, rather, Shaq Lawson. No, Shaq Lawson, he had a couple penalties in this game, a couple bonehead plays, but he also made some really, really nice plays. My dad's right. He does play the run just as well as he plays the pass. He is an absolutely adequate pass rusher, and he might be even above average in run block, uh, run stopping. He stunts, he hits the holes. There were a couple, he had two TFLs in this game, and he hit the running back in the backfield, just like hitting the hole, stunting through exactly where the guy was going to go, shifting to the inside, and just really nice plays from Shaq Lawson. You're like, damn, that was nice to see. So I was pretty happy with the defensive line overall. You know, we only had a few quarterback hits in this game. Marcus May... We had a sack from John Franklin Myers, Sheldon Rankins, you know, quarterback hits there. But across the board, Mac Jones is playing, staying upright for the most part. He's throwing the ball four yards per throw also. So, of course, he's going to stay upright. We knew it was going to be trouble hitting him. Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels want to keep their quarterback upright. Yeah, it comes at the cost of, like, never picking up any yardage. 186 yards on 30 throws, but whatever. It won for them, so how can I say anything? Um, I was really happy with the defense, though. When you look at the linebackers, Linebackers are kind of a weird group because you'd think coming into the year it'd be Hamza Nazaraldine and Jamie and Sherwood, two rookies converted from safety, come in here and play. Then last week you have Jamie and Sherwood go down. Delshawn Phillips has a pretty good game. You know, he makes his presence felt, and then they pick up Quincy Williams, who's Quinn Williams' younger or older brother, rather. They pick him up. He ends up playing 91% of snaps in this game. Hamza Nazaraldine plays like 30% of snaps, gets a huge reduction from what he played the week before. Without Jamie and Sherwood or Blake Cashman there, Delshawn Phillips doesn't pick up any extra snaps. B.J. Goodson, who was actually a new signing by the Jets, a guy that played for the Giants in recent years. You may remember B.J. Goodson. He played like seven snaps in this game. So we're still trying to figure out who the hell is supposed to go next to C.J. Mosley. We have a ton of guys fighting for that position. 
For outside linebacker, we got Hampson Nasraldine, Jamie and Sherwood, Delshawn Phillips, BJ Goodson, Quincy Williams, Blake Cashman. I mean, who is going to get this job and play consistently and play well? And that's part of the evaluation. That is probably the position most up for grabs in this entire team right now, other than free safety as we wait for somebody to get healthy like Sherrod Neesman or Ashton Davis. I digress. Linebackers are interesting. C.J. Mosley, however, is playing out of his freaking mind. He is our defensive player of the game and absolutely should be. He had seven solo tackles in this game, ten tackles, a pass deflection, but he was all over the field like a missile. This is so such a relief to see because C.J. Mosley was the big free agent acquisition the Jets had. They paid him way too much money with Mike McCagnon. He's kind of like, you know, inherited in the new Joe Douglas regime where it's like, shit, we got this huge mega $17 million contract for C.J. Mosley. We can't really get rid of him right now without just losing the money and losing him, so we might as well hope he's got something left in the tank. After sitting out two years, once for COVID, once for being injured for a season, we have no idea what he's going to do. He loses a bunch of weight, comes in here, and kicks ass. He's all over the field. He stifled so many screen passes. He stifled so many plays in the middle of the field for three, four-yard pickups. The second he touches a guy, he wraps him up. He brings him down. He's moving quick. And I rewatched the game two, three times, and he was everywhere. And the first thing I thought when I watched the first half, like it was over, and I said, damn, C.J. Mosley had a killer first half. Then he picks it right back up in the second half. He's everywhere making plays. C.J. Mosley is the absolute man. No wonder he's a team captain. We are happy to have him out there. He is right now the best player on the, on the defense. Looking at the cornerbacks, this is a position that we were trying to evaluate um, because we've got Bryce Hall, and then with LaShawn Austin gone, it's like, who's going to play the other side? We've got rookies Jason Pinnock and Brandon Eccles, maybe Justin Hardy or something like that, Isaiah Dunn potentially, and a couple slot guys in Javelin Gidry and Michael Carter too. So it was going to be hard to see how it shook up. Um, Brandon Eccles got the start last week. He got the start again this week. Uh, Jason Pinnock is still not suiting up. Isaiah Dunn did not get any snaps really in this game. So Brandon Eccles got that position, but in reality, Michael Carter, too, is the guy that got the big timeshare boost in this game. He played pretty well in game one. I thought he stood out as like a guy that was was right there. And in this game, if it wasn't for C.J. Mosley's awesome performance and maybe Marcus Mays also, it could have been Michael Carter, too, that got defensive player of the game because he was all over the field. He was making big plays. He was stopping the screen pass, and, you know, the Patriots were trying screen pass after screen pass, pick up these three-yard plays if they can. And he's tackling way better than I thought he would. I didn't think he'd be good at tackling, but he is. And he's covering really well, and he actually took twice as many snaps as Javelin Guidry and ended up at this game getting more snaps than Brandon Eccles. So you're seeing Michael Carter II work his way up the depth chart and become more of the every-down player. He's not quite there yet. He's not where Bryce Hall is at 97% of snaps but he's the next highest guy in that cornerback room. So I'd like to see a little bit more of Michael Carter as he gets good. Brandon Eccles, right now you can't be upset with the cornerbacks because they're not burning us. You know, they threw for 186 yards in this game. And some of that was to, you know, quick quick little passes that nobody can defend. They just pick up five yards on the screen. Some of it was to the running back, the tight ends and whatnot. Look at the outside receivers. Jacoby Myers was their leading wide receiver with 38 yards. Nelson Aguilar had 21. Kendrick Bourne had two catches for 10. So you're like under 100 yards in the wide receiver group again after doing really well against the Panthers when you take out the big Robbie Anderson play. you got to be happy with the group that we thought was going to struggle early on. And then safety, Marcus May had a really good game in this one. He had six tackles. He had a sack, two tackles for loss, a pass deflection, quarterback hit. He was all over the field. He was playing a notch below C.J. Mosley, but right in that spot where he's coming up into the box. He's all over making plays, and the Jets had a, you know, Robert Sala said in the, most recent press conference last week before the game, he talked about kind of a kills on the Jets are going to do, which is like, don't give up big explosive plays, 12-yard runs and 16-yard passes, and then don't let them dink and dunk on you. And everything like five yards in, the kill zone. Attack, engage, and get the guys down. And Marcus May, C.J. Mosley, Michael Carter II excelled at that in this game against the Patriots. The other guy, Adrian Colbert, he ended up playing like 90% of snaps at safety, and we'll see what the Jets do there. We'd like to get Sherrod Neesman and Ashton Davis back because those players should be higher than him on the pecking order and would bring a little bit more life and juice into the Jets' defense. But, uh, you know, it's going to be Colbert in the meantime until somebody gets healthy because Sheldrick Redwine was released. He gave up the big play to Robbie Anderson in Week 1, kind of was caught napping there, and Adrian Colbert gets to move on. So that's what we got from our defense. Looking at special teams really quick, Punting, we picked up Thomas Morstead. You remember him, the old punter from the Saints. He punted one time. It was fine. 
uh, like 45 yards. I'd still miss Braden Mann. I think Braden Mann is going to have a really good year when he comes back as long as he's healthy. Matt Amendola, he didn't have any extra point opportunities, but he had three field goal attempts. He made two of them. The long was a 35. He missed a 53-yarder, 67%. I don't trust this guy. A lot of people like him. He had a great punting game. He's got a long leg. I don't trust him. He made a kick look really sketchy, a short one, and he missed that 53-yarder. And at a certain point, you do expect stuff from your kickers. Nick Folks are guys that are getting picked up midseason, right? He's not like some household. Quinn Norton would be their kicker probably if they had their way. Nick Folks was just signed to the active roster. These guys are available. Nick Folks made how many kicks in a row? Made a 49-yarder. Veterans make their kicks. So far, Matt Amendola, 66% right now on the season. He's got he's got a battle back. And then our special teams player of the game, because Matt Amendola didn't impress, Thomas Morstead had one punt. You could say Thomas Hennessy, good snaps. Sure, we only punted one time. Only had three field goal attempts. Braxton Berrios, he had a nice 38-yard kick return. Caught all of his punts, no fumbles. 38-yarder was one that I thought to myself, like, ooh, I don't know if he's got the speed to go outside. And then he shocked me by being, I think he ended up having, like, one of the fourth highest speeds, top speeds at, like, 21-point-something miles per hour going outside there on the kick return. So Braxton Berrios, good for you. Special teams player of the game. Like I always say, all player of the games are not created equal. He didn't have an incredible special teams performance. But it was, that 38-yarder was a standout play. And it's all we really had from the special teams in this game. We only punted one time, so we didn't have like a lot of gunners out there. We only scored two field goals, and the kicks went out of the back of the end zone, so we didn't really have a lot of like kick coverage team. So not even an opportunity for the gunners to really step in there. It was just, uh, that's what happens when you throw four interceptions in a game. So that's what we got from our special teams. The last order of business is to talk about the AFC East and then preview the Denver Broncos. And I don't want this podcast to be too long, so I'm going to try to speed this up a little bit here through these sections. In the AFC East, we played the Patriots, right? We lose 6-25. to The Patriots go to 1-1, one and one, move ahead of us. Um, we're 0-2 now. And then the Bills and Dolphins play. The Dolphins had won last week against the Patriots. They were 1-0. The Bills had lost to the Steelers. They were 0-1. In this game, the Bills beat the Dolphins 35-0. to Josh Allen doesn't really impress. Throws like 50%. Hasn't had a great season to point uh, to this point in the season, but they're 1-1. One one. They beat the Dolphins 35-0. to And the AFC East is up for grabs. The Jets are only one game back. So... Next week, we got some big matchups. The Saints are going to New England at 1 p.m. The Washington football team is going to Buffalo at 1 p.m. The Dolphins are going to Las Vegas to play the Raiders at 4 p.m. So all of those games are interesting. I mean, from what we saw against the Patriots, the Jets basically outplayed them in all facets of the game except for quarterback. You'd think the Saints have a chance to win that game potentially. When you see the Washington football team, they've got a very good defense. Josh Allen hasn't really gotten to last season form yet. They could lose that game. And the Raiders are one of the hottest teams in the league, beating both the Ravens and the Steelers, two teams that you think are potentially playoff teams. Right now, you would probably predict the Raiders to be 0-2 going into the season. They're 2-0. and And playing the Dolphins, this will probably be their easiest test yet. So can Derek Carr keep it together? Is he healthy enough because he got banged up in last week? We'll see. So hopefully everybody in the AFC East loses except for the Jets. The Jets will be playing at Denver. Mile High Stadium, 4.05 p.m. against the Broncos. So this is our chance to get our first win of the season. That said, this is the biggest underdog in the uh, in the spread the Jets have been at this point this season. They are 10.5-point underdogs right now. They are playing away, so they get like three points for that. But 10.5 points, double digits, that's a lot in the NFL, 10 points. They were like 3, 4, 5 against the Panthers. I think around that same area for the Patriots. Now 10.5 playing in Denver, and part of it's because the Broncos are playing great. Part of it's because the Jets are not playing great, specifically Zach Wilson, but it's going to be interesting. I think the Broncos have to be really happy to be playing us right now. They played the Jaguars last week. They played the Giants the week before. They play us now. I mean, they don't have a difficult game on their schedule through the first three weeks. An easy 3-0 and so they can feel really good about themselves. Of course, they still have to play teams like the Raiders, the Chargers, the Chiefs multiple times. Their season gets very difficult. Is this potentially a trap game for a team that's feeling really, really high and mighty right now at 2-0? 10.5-point favorites? It's possible. So when you look at the Broncos, a few sides of it. Number one, what can their offense do? You may be familiar with their offensive quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, as he played for the Jets for a preseason before we traded them to the Saints. Teddy Bridgewater is a good quarterback, you know, kind of a game manager. He's never had more than 14, 15 touchdowns in a season playing for as many years as he has. Came back from an injury. Um, kind of has worked, worked his way back. 
beat Drew Locke out for the quarterback competition, and he's played his best football of his entire career so far. Now, we know when you look at the Broncos, they have some of the best skill position players in the league. They've got receivers like Cortland Sutton. Jerry Judy's banged up right now, but he's there. And then they've got you know, other receivers on that team. K.J. Hamler, a little speed guy. Tim Patrick is one of the better unknown wide receivers in the league. They've got one of the best athletic tight ends in Noah Fant. And then they've got two running backs going back forth. they got Melvin Gordon and rookie Javante Williams, who was the number one running back last year for North Carolina, ahead of our Michael Carter. So Javante Williams, who was drafted before Michael Carter, having a really nice year. Melvin Gordon, we know what he can do. And then you got guys like Cortland Sutton, who's coming off a 150-yard receiving week. Noah Fant's having a great year. Tim Patrick, K.J. Hamler, they have options on their team. And Teddy Bridgewater is finding him and having the best season he's ever had. Can we bring him back down to earth? I think it's possible. They do have a good offensive line. They really have a good team overall. The one thing about this team was like they're really good. The only issue is they're playing in a great division in the AFC West, and the Chiefs will basically have a stranglehold on that for the next 10 years probably. And number two, Drew Locke is the quarterback, and they have to find a real guy. Teddy Bridgewater is totally competent enough to have really, really good games right now. Let the rest of the team do what they do best. So what are we going to be able to do against them? Their offense right now, you know, they're only 24th in the league in sacks allowed. So 24th, like meaning towards the bottom. They've allowed five, which is more than a lot of teams have. They have the second best completion percentage in the league at 77%, the 10th most passing yards, and the fifth most rushing yards. So slightly better at running than passing, but really successful at both. The one thing you could say is potentially Teddy Bridgewater has been sacked this year. Maybe the Jets can get after him. I think that given what the Broncos' offense has done so far this year, scoring, you know, 23 and 27 points so far, I think the Jets have a better defense than the Giants and a better defense than the Jags. I didn't think it, you know, two weeks ago, but after seeing what I saw this past week, the evolution of the defense, Robert Sala's scheme, and how he played the Patriots, Teddy Bridgewater plays a, you know, he's obviously way, way flashier than Mac Jones at this point. You know, he's throwing 300-yard games, but he is typically a more steady Teddy type of quarterback, a little bit closer to the Sam Darnold, the Mac Jones that we've played so far this year, that we've done pretty good with. You know, one of the big issues would be cornerbacks. They don't get exposed too, too much. We do have to stop Cortland Sutton. Somebody's got to stay with KJ Hamler, make sure he doesn't go over the top. Tim Patrick, you can't stop. Then you got to get a guy like CJ Mosley or Marcus May on Noah Fant. But the running game there is going to be tough to stop. So we got that defensive line, those trenches that we built up. I think the Jets give up less points than the Jaguars gave up and the Giants gave up. 20 points for the Denver Broncos in this game. When you talk about the other side of the ball, the Broncos' defense, their defense is probably better than their offense. Right now to this point, their defense, again, they've placed the Giants and the Jaguars. So it's Daniel Jones, it's Trevor Lawrence, it's an injured Saquon Barkley, it's no Travis Etienne. These are not tough matchups. But they've allowed the fifth least passing yards in the league. Fifth in the league in rushing yards. Their third in quarterback rating allowed, 65.5 is the quarterback rating they've allowed so far to Trevor Lawrence and Daniel Jones. But their first... And completion percentage at only 51% opponents are completing on them. Now, again, the one area that they're maybe not great in is they're 25th in the league in sacks. They only have three. So, Zach Wilson, if you hold on the ball for too long, they may start getting a little bit more than they had in the first two weeks. You know, they want to get after the quarterback. They've got some guys that are specialists in that. Von Miller, Bradley Chubb being two of them. Bradley Chubb may not play in this game. He's a little banged up. Von Miller probably will be playing. They'd love to get after Zach Wilson. They love, they're watching tape right now like, oh, he holds on to the ball. Let's go crush him. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully Michael Thor's got something schemed up for them. Their defense, you know, they're really good at stopping the run and at stopping the pass. And it's going to be a tough challenge for Zach Wilson and the Jets. You know, so far, the Broncos have played the Giants and the Jaguars, but in both games, they give up 13 points. I don't think the Jets are too much further along than that. I thought that they were. thought they were definitely a better offense than the Jaguars at this point. But after seeing what we saw against the Patriots, we're not really feeling like that anymore. So I said the Jets score, again, 13 points. So a little bit better defense than the Broncos have faced yet, but probably not the offense that they, uh, that they need to overpower that defense. So the Jets lose this game, in my prediction, 13-20, to 20, which is better than the spread has us at 10.5-point underdogs, but still not good enough to get the first win of the season. I hope that I am proven wrong. For goodness sake, I need it. My mental health, my physical health suffers when the Jets lose. Tough Mondays, tough Tuesdays. The reason that I started this podcast to begin with was to vent because it was just like weighing on my mind too much. And there's only so much I can talk to my dad and make him listen to me complain about the Jets and what's going on. I had to have a podcast and it helps me kind of work through the stuff in my head. But 
wins are the best way to do it. Winning solves everything. It's been a long time since the Jets had a, a win that meant something. And being one game back in the division, to beat a team that's 2-0 like the Broncos in the AFC away in Denver, that would be great. It would be great for so many reasons, for Zach Wilson, for the confidence of the fan base, for the coaching staff to get it, for the players who have worked so hard, to show the players that what they're doing, buying in, it's working, and it's leading to results, wins. I mean, I'd love to see it. So, obviously, hoping that my prediction is wrong. Let's go Jets, see what we can do. We'll be back here the following week to talk about the Denver Broncos game, whether or not the Jets were able to pull it off. But until the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. I want to congratulate Nathaniel Stevens one last time for winning the assigned Elijah Moore mini helmet. And that's all I got for this week. Thank you for joining me on this week's podcast. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 